You're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, including film, TV and music, as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. You can find us online with Twitter at The Thirst, Facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. We're over on Instagram as The Thirst Pod too. We've got our Podbean account, which is The Thirst. You can find us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts by searching for The Thirst. And we're also on Spotify. And you can email us if you would like to, thethirstpod at gmail.com. You can leave us some reviews on Apple Podcasts if you like. And if you would like to check out the blog where we add links to anything we reference in the episode you can do so it's the thirstpod.wordpress.com um, you can also find the link to that in the show notes on the episode two this is episode 54 54 like studio 54 oh that's a nice. very famous new york nightclub sure is the only piece of trivia i could think of that's good that one. and celebrity birthdays Go obviously yeah um controversially not many people that i care that much for are 54 oh okay um but here are some topical ones right pamela anderson hot serge tankian <laughs> my favorite member of uh, system of a down been listening to a lot of system of a down have. recently it's true it's true uh Kiefer sutherland <laughs> my favorite lost boy yep laura dern queen queen nicole kidman fine jason statham uh great yarmouth great yarmouth uh denis villeneuve denis villeneuve uh, and also, oh, lots of bad people are 54. Go on. Louis C.K. Gross. R. Kelly. No thanks. Joe Rogan. That's <laughs> wow. like the holy tri- That's like the holy trinity of bad dudes. That's awful. So 54, bad age. Horrible age. Congrats. So this episode is slightly different from our usual, uh, I don't know. Schedule programming. Schedule programming because we've decided to focus on our trip to the London Film Festival and also June. <laughs> <laughs> because those are the you've two... got to tack it on somewhere yeah well it's because those are the two big events that we've encountered lately and basically because everything is coming out at once we did see a few things at london film festival which are now being released in the next few weeks so the timing has sort of felt good and we also had the chance to see june a few days early um to its release so it seems sensible to captivate i don't know well, otherwise, it's going to be like four weeks until we review June. And... Nobody will care if we give our June review in December. <laughs> the conversation will be over. The conversation will be over. So, so, it's... so we can talk about our lovely trip to the big smoke from <laughs> the country. It was exciting, <laughs> to yeah, be it was fair. Right, wasn't it? It was the, only the second time we'd left, I don't know, the vicinity of our homes further afield in, a very, in literally 18 months it's like my first time using public transport we got on the months. tube yeah we got on the tube train uh, we used the underground we used the underground we're not uh, really country bumpkins no but we Apart have been we in are. a weird lockdown period remember covid yeah i do unfortunately remember covid so. yeah so the 65th london film festival took place between the 6th to the 17th of october 2021 um some films played that's what i've written in my notes some films played lots of films played you can go Google them. Google them. It took place largely at the Royal Festival Hall and BFI Southbank. Um, last year, of course, everything was digital because of the restrictions, because of COVID and the inevitable lockdown that then happened thereafter. The majority of the screenings were online and we were able to watch a hell of a lot of films last year. Yeah. But we did miss the 
opportunity to go and see things in person so when the schedule was announced for this year and we realized that we might actually get to go and see things in a cinema in london we leapt at the chance to do so yeah it was like swings and roundabouts isn't it we saw fewer things this year but we got to actually experience them in person in a room with other people also reacting in real time so one of our most favorite things yeah holding your hand in the cinema holding my hand in the cinema um so the first thing that we are going to cover is last night in soho so it's a 2021 british psychological horror film directed by edgar wright with a screenplay by edgar wright and christy wilson cairns from a story by wright the film stars thomas and mckenzie anya taylor joy michael ajeo matt smith terence stamp and in her last film appearance Diana Rigg um, the film had had its world premiere at the 78th Venice International Film Festival on the 4th of September which I think we had mentioned on the episode previously and it's also scheduled to be released theatrically in the UK and the States on the 29th of October 2021 so this is a little bit of a preview it moved around a few times because of Covid so it was originally scheduled to be released last September and then it was delayed to April this year and then it was delayed to October the 22nd and then was moved back a week so all over the place all over the place and we had the opportunity to see the gala screening of this at london film festival which meant that uh, a significant amount of the cast were present which was very nice got to see edgar wright in person we did yep and Matt Smith. And a Matt Smith. There and was no Thomas and Mackenzie or Anya Taylor Joy. Anya Taylor Joy was apparently in Los Angeles filming, and dear Thomas and Mackenzie stuck in New Zealand, where they are locked down. <laughs> Along with all other New Zealanders. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just specifically Thomas and just Mackenzie. Thomas and Mackenzie. Just, yeah. just there. So the premise for the film is an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. However, the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something far darker so the way that we are going to discuss everything in this episode going forward is we're going to have a little bit of a spoiler free chat and then we're going to get into i don't know spoilerific territory spoilerific territory bit of a tongue twister there and we'll um we'll time stamp this in the show notes as well so if you are thinking of seeing the films anytime soon you'll be able to jump forwards and backwards to avoid anything just because we thought that otherwise we'll have to dance around things that we sort of want to discuss and then we will never discuss them again which is what happened with a few things we saw last year so we've learned from our mistakes and we're moving forward so um (laughs) what were your expectations in advance of this we have mentioned it on the episode before and I think it came up when we did our things we're looking forward to in 2021 as I recall yeah I did say I was looking forward to it quite a bit Mm. um we're both Edgar Wright fans huge big fan of Space Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz Baby Driver I know you like Scott Pilgrim very much I love Scott Pilgrim and I think I really hoped to have something from Edgar Wright that I could safely enjoy again because Baby Driver has just been like thrown into the sewer for me which is quite upsetting I feel like controversially we both really enjoyed Baby Driver are we the only ones that really enjoyed Baby Driver (laughs) a lot of people don't like Baby Driver which is objectively fine but now like you say I find it quite hard to watch for two main reasons Ansel Elgort and Kevin Spacey just horrendously awkward haven't even attempted it since so that's a shame but this film um, which follows Baby Driver has been quite a long time coming it wrapped back in August 2019 and I think since Jan, like really early 2019, Wright had sort of teased this idea of the London set psychological mm-hmm. horror. So I was very excited at that idea. And also, you know, it, it sounded very much like it had a different tone to the sort of Cornetto trilogy style sort of comedy aspects. I was also very intrigued by the use of time travel and this idea of sort of it being a film that's like a love letter to London. 
the casting, I think when the casting was announced, kind of mixed. Like, I really like Thomas and Mackenzie. I yeah. think you probably do too. Yeah. Like, she's great in Leave No Trace, for example. Less keen on Anya Taylor-Joy, controversially. Hopefully I don't get sent any hate mail this time. But personally, not really a fan. Not really fussed by Matt Smith either. So definitely like mixed bag casting wise and the trailer when we saw that sort of left me excited but a bit apprehensive as in it looked very stylish I imagined it would sound very stylish but I wasn't sure how the time travel aspect would work in particular so I couldn't really get a read on what would this would be like so went in with very mixed expectations like either I'm gonna like it or feel very let down by it yeah, I mean, my expectations for it were fairly high just because I do, like you, enjoy Edgar's work. I had been very sceptical regarding some of the casting, particularly Anya Taylor-Joy, because I also famously don't particularly enjoy her, but I was willing to sort of, I don't know, give her a second chance or just willing to overlook my perhaps... Um, give her a second chance after she barged past me at London Film Festival 2019. She did famously barge past me. She did famously barge past me. This barge has grown in size every time I've recited. Well, like, right now, it's like she's pushed me down the stairs at this point. It really was like an, a slight elbow, but mm. it's stuck with me. It is what it is. Um. So, yeah, so I, my expectations were quite high and then I'd seen the trailer and then I had moderately adjusted my expectations and then I had sort of seen a few things post film <laughs> festival and I'd been really intrigued by this way that Edgar had sort of issued this press release type thing saying like oh don't spoil some of the aspects and part of me was like mm, fair but also part of me was a bit like oh is that because you sort of know how people are going to respond to it. So I w- That's a very good point, actually. I hadn't quite thought about the fact that that might be one of the reasons. And also he, I mean, I've said to you anecdotally that he, behind the scenes, was very much pushing for this not to be marketed or read or described in any way as a horror film, mm. which sat a bit strangely for me, just because he's such a big horror film fan. So yeah, odd, a bit weird. odd decision. So... Those are our expectations. What are your general spoiler-free reactions to having now seen the film? A very general non-spoiler reaction would be um, it was okay. Very much a film of two halves. Mm -hmm. Like quite a strong first half opener. Very much let down by the second half. And it very much leans into like Edgar Wright's eye for sort of amazing choreography and those needle drops that we definitely felt in Mm -hmm. kind of Baby Driver in particular. And it's got a really immersive 60s setting, which is lovely. There were some genuinely laugh out loud moments where we laughed in the (laughs) cinema along with people, particularly at the expense of Londoners, which is kind of watching it in a cinema with people who are actually Londoners laughing at the sort of like North South divide is, you know, that was great. There were some genuine sort of comic nice moments. But yeah, the, the second half definitely didn't work for me. The way that the threads of the story, I guess, are supposed to be pulled together didn't work. Mm-hmm. My connection with the characters personally didn't work and it felt quite muddled and I was left a bit cold. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to talk about this without spoiling it, really, because... That's why I've gone brief. <laughs> yeah, I love, love it, love it. Um, I am feeling quite let down by it. I think that you're right in that it has a really strong, fun start with, like, the classic Edgar film elements. So you've got lots of sharp cuts, mm. great use of sound and sound effects. The comedy is definitely there. Um, You know, some of the throwaway lines, like you say, that sort of... Definitely at the expense of London. You know, like, London, it is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But it does absolutely stick the landing for 
for me in a way that I haven't really been able to get past in the last two weeks. And as much as I wanted to sort of just like move on, I've just kept coming back to it and being a bit like, huh, okay. I, I just think it. I need to interrogate it more. But I, I just, I don't know. Like I really did like sort of the weird obsession with how funny London can be and how difficult can it, it can be. But then it sort of became unfunny when in the second half where it just takes this sort of slightly odd twist. It was like a weirdly, not superficial view of London, but it was almost like the tourist level of London as well. Lots of shots of London, but very recognisable London. So as a love letter, it was kind of like, yes, on the surface. It it felt like... A but film, not a very deep interrogation of it. No, it felt like a film that had almost been put together by someone who has never been to London. Which yeah. is like... It's like, here's the London eye and a red post box. London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, a lot. London, it's a lot. Deeply stereotypical, which I think was obviously purposeful for comedy value, but it just sort of became a bit relentless in not a good way. Like slightly annoying. <laughs> slightly annoying. Um, do you want to move on to... Yes, I think our general thoughts in a non-spoilery <laughs> way are that first half stronger, yeah. second half let down. Yeah. I personally, and one of the nice things about London Film Festival is that we will often see something first there yeah. and then we'll go, if we really enjoy it, go and revisit again at the yeah. cinema later with other people Absolutely. as well. Like, And I had text Wes afterwards and basically been like, I'm probably not going to go and see this with yeah. you. Yeah, I'd, I'd said that. I was that. like, leave it, for, leave it for streaming. Just watch it at home. I don't think I want to spend £12 on a ticket to see it again, thank you. No, it was nice. I'm glad we got to go to the garden i'm glad we got to see it but i just probably won't watch it at any point again of edgar wright's like filmography so far it's i mean i wasn't massively keen on the world's end but it's like of the group one of the weaker ones for me, probably one of the more problematic ones for me it really sits at the bottom with the world's end world's end is the one of all of his films that i just don't ever revisit like i watch Shaun of the dead relentlessly i, yeah. I love hot fuzz i'm like you say i'm a huge scott pilgrim fan but I just don't think I'll ever watch this again. No. Fine. I don't know why we're acting like we've had to do like a dramatic pause. Like, I don't know. And now's the spoilers. Um. So uh, that was our spoiler-free reactions. Shall we do some spoilers now? Because that's more fun. Because there are things about this that I'd absolutely want to discuss with you um, and interrogate a little bit further. So uh, I suppose the setting and the style of it, what were your sort of thoughts on that and the things that it's doing stylistically and the things that it's putting on screen? That feels like one of the stronger elements. It's definitely the stronger aspect. It is, isn't it? Like this idea of a love letter to 60s London in particular, mm -hmm. you've got those wonderfully like vivid, lush nightclub nightlife scenes that sound it's really striking. glorious as well. It's really striking. Sort of bit smoky and grim as well as yeah. quite glamorous. You get that two-toned edge. Wonderfully choreographed. So those bits where um, Thomas and Mackenzie's character Eloise is being sort of mirrored by it's really Anna Taylor-Joyce Sandy. Yeah, That's very cool. It's almost like a musical isn't yeah. it and yeah and you've got that really vivid contrast with Eloise's sort of quite grim reality of London in the present mm -hmm. day I know Wright's talked about sort of look and feel wise the story kind of you can see it harking back to some of the classics you know like Polanski's Repulsion which sort of shares in that um, nightmarish quality uh, I think Wright also mentioned like Don't Look Now yeah, and a did. bit of sort of like Suspiria and yeah. Shallow. So I can definitely see those elements, which is kind of fun. Um, so like setting and style wise, yeah. I think it's kind of, it's a fun watch. It's a vivid, colourful, enjoyable, like setting 
and time for a story yeah. that time travel aspect I think is interesting he does really render it very very well to a point the sort of swinging 60s London mm. setting like those club scenes the recreations of streets it's like obviously extremely evocative of that period and yeah. the art from that time so like other 60s film and tv but period like period specific pieces um the thing for me is it does sort of feel like style of a substance though yes. to a point like it's really flashy and stylish but it's also just quite empty there's no structure or scaffolding beneath it so you're being presented with all these like really flashy things that are quite impressive like the chore- like the choreography and, and the twinning of, of Thomas and Mackenzie and Taylor Joy like the way that those scenes in particular are executed it's, like the it's visual style and everything is great isn't it's really it? yeah. really brilliant but there's no structure or scaffolding beneath no. it story wise so it does slightly just feel hollow in a way yes I would agree um, so we've talked about Thomas and Mackenzie and Taylor Joy there but what did you think performances wise I mean thing is I don't think any of the performances are particularly bad no like Thomas and Mackenzie as Eloise is sort of very Thomas and Mackenzie sort of quite sympathetic and naive mm-hmm wide-eyed sort of innocent newcomer from Cornwall you know like immensely down to earth yeah she's contrasted with Anya Taylor-Joy who you know I'm not her biggest fan but I can totally see why she'd be cast here as this sort of doe-eyed sexy nightlife talent like totally get it Matt Smith works as Jack like this mysterious sort of schmoozer talent scout Mm -hmm. manager pimp yeah personality so like if you like all three of those actors i think you will probably have a better time than me as well yeah i'm not particularly enamored with two out of the three of them so it never really clicked for me with regards to sort of caring about those characters particularly i really like terence stamp he was good sort of as the silverhead gentleman he was pretty good yeah um and eloise's grandmother made me want to like burst into tears every time she was on the screen so like you know the uni girls actually they were a really strong point they were were some of my favorites actually because i do feel like one of the things the film does do pretty well is that it does fully illustrate how insufferable like university students and fashion students london fashion uni life absolutely intolerable it's a really really good rendering of it um i'm glad that you mentioned terence stamp there actually because i feel like he he in particular and diana rigg Yes. as well are both like really interesting casting choices if you mm. think about the fact that it's sort of like representing 60s London mm-hmm. and those two aren't necessarily in that particular setting yeah. but they're definitely throwbacks to yes. you know like Terence Stamp having been in a lot of like Ken Loach films mm-hmm. um, Diana Rigg and her vast career as well they're like really purposeful casting to sort of like go like oh well you know they were big in the 60s yeah. as well so it's it's really interesting what it does there um, I really did like Sonova Carson as Jocasta Oh my god, Sonova Carlson. She's so funny. Evil. Evil, but like, like she just feels really well realised in that like I absolutely remember meeting Jocasta's when I was at university. And I did like Michael Jao as John, who's Eloise's um, fellow fashion school classmate who becomes a bit of a sort of romantic... He's very yeah, sweet. He's, and he's got some of the best one-liners, he has hasn't some he? Best so one-liners. he's there. Like generally, like quite a strong... Yeah. Cast. I don't think anyone has necessarily been miscast in no, this at all. Not They're at not all. bad performances. But as you say, actually, I feel like it's the story itself. Yeah. That is the major weak plot. You've got like the visual style and like the music and all of those components and the performances are good. Mm-hmm. And then it's the story itself that just I was going to say, do you want to um, unpack the story a little bit? What were the things within it that didn't work for you? And particularly with regards to the ending and that second half, because I do feel like we are both of the same opinion in that the first half works relatively mm. well 
but then it does just fall yeah and i if i have to sort of like think about the waiting and the issues that i have with the film more broadly it's it's that back oh half it's the back half yeah and i went into this film really intrigued by what the story would be and mm-hmm. how this time tra- travel aspect would work yeah. because it had been sort of pitched as this almost like you couldn't get a handle on it from the trailer it's this real sort of shape-shifting movie so it's sort part psychological thriller and sort of sci-fi time travel horror which kind of manages to work in terms of look and feel but doesn't work in terms of story i actually did think that having no clue what the time travel aspect would be that sort of nighttime fantasy element bringing the present day and 60s soho together did actually quite work for me that sort of fragmentation of reality dreams seeping into wakefulness yeah and eloise's loss of self as she sort of morphs into sandy she becomes consumed by yeah and that that kind of works um the two i guess significant ways it lost me are the weird cgi ghost men why just couldn't get away from them and they just didn't match with any of the rest of, I just don't know why they were there. Tonally, they fell off. Right? And there's this general sort of underlying sense of threat and unease from figures like Jack and that nightclub scene, you know, the gentleman within that scene, um, and sort of this idea of what lies beneath the flashy veneer of Soho. But then they introduced these, like, big, weird CGI ghosts that didn't... were just, like, a bit tacky. It did, I, that was totally weird for me. They felt like they'd been pulled from like a completely different type yeah. of Edgar Wright film. Like it was really interesting. I, I rewatched Didn't they? Yeah, I rewatched Scott Pilgrim at the weekend. I don't know, just feeling the need to watch it and it, it reminds me of the scene at the end where after Scott's been through everything and he's just going through the resolution where like he's defeated Gideon. Yes. Um, and he then has to like defeat himself. Is yeah, this like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. my god, mind blowing moment? And it just they, I, I realized it's like, oh, it, they look visually so, so similar, similar to the way that like Scott's like evil self is mm. rendered. Um, so they reminded me of that, and then they also just remind me inevitably of like the zombies from Shaun of the Dead, right? Which they felt like a real throat. It felt like this film was trying to advance in terms of like Edgar Wright's style, do something different, then had these weird, awkward throwbacks yeah. to something else. Because I also found the like the very ending, the tone of it completely off because it felt like it veered into like quirky older person hot fuzz territory as yes. well. Which I was kind of like, are we playing this for sort of laughs at the end? Yeah, I couldn't now? tell either. I, I thought this was supposed to be relatively straight face. Yeah, so I couldn't get a read on that at all. So the tone was all over the place and of course the biggest problem is the politics of this film which are absolutely baffling don't because get it. i don't know why edgar wright decided to go down the path of female sex worker murders her clients after being mistreated and they beg this young girl in the present day for help like uh, what am i supposed to do with that? am i supposed to be sympathizing with these cgi ghosts or is this supposed to be a clever commentary on the sort of commodification of young women by it like it just it also implied that Eloise was schizophrenic I just didn't really it didn't know what it was doing and there were real parts of it that felt actually quite uncomfortable my my feeling regarding it's like representation of like mental health and also it's representation of like the concept of sex work particularly like coerced sex work like it just felt why would you even go there it was such a strange curveball and when I realised that like oh 
thought, okay, that's what's happening. It just made me feel quite uncomfortable. And then in the like climactic thing, Mm -hmm. when you have suddenly been presented with all these like ghosts of these people that have been murdered, there was a moment where like they were like asking for help, Eloise, for help. And I think I just said, I think I just remember looking at you and just being like, are they really gonna like, am I really supposed to feel bad for a bunch of men that have essentially been abusing this woman and and it didn't didn't go that way but it's like the fact you're even presenting that and then obviously she says no as a a defiant act but it's like you shouldn't even be proposing that like that's bad i just why go there like why go there at all edgar wright's a very clever person and very good at what he does so i have no idea how he ended up at this point it just felt like it was just a poor story all round i just think the setup worked, and then the rest of it just absolutely did not follow through. Poor no, story. there's no through line there, I think, and it just feels completely all over the place. The muddled. twist, also, the twist with um, Sandy and the woman who runs the boarding yeah. house was like entirely foreseeable as yeah. well. Like you kind of knew that was coming from the start, so it just, it just felt like poor storytelling all round. I just, I, I'm, I have really try to unpick it and not in a way to try and convince myself that I liked it or that there are likeable aspects to it and or that I'd perhaps been too harsh on it because maybe I'd hyped it up internally but no actually I think the more I've thought about it and also the more I've read around it and the more I've read other people's responses to it I do feel that we are not in the minority of actually thinking that this is just like maybe just bad it didn't come together at all, did it? Did not come It was come a disappointment. Together. Real D- disappointment. Real disappointment. Um, I'm glad that we saw it. I'm glad that we got to attend the gala because it was fun. But I just, like we said, I just have no interest in watching this again. No, afraid not. It's not one for us. Bad. Bad Edgar. So our gala screening of Last Night in Soho then led immediately into a special screening of Titan. 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 Which is a 2021 body horror film written and directed by Julia Ducournau. The film stars Agathe Roussel in her feature film debut alongside Vincent Linden and Garance Marillier. Depending on which premise you read online, uh, a large part of this film might be spoiled for you, actually, <laughs> if you if you try and read any kind of online premise. So, And I think it's better to go in cold. So I will go with Titan is a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high tensile strength alloys often used in medical prothesis due to its pronounced biocompatibility. In Titan, Alexia is a young girl who is injured in a car accident and has a titanium plate fitted to her head. And that is literally all I am going to say about this film. Dukunu is, of course, the director of Raw, which is a film that we both very much enjoyed. Um, And Titan had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival on the 13th of July, where it won the Palme d'Or. Dukunu is the second female director to win the award after Joan Campion in 1993 for The Piano. At the 2021 Toronto International Film Festival, the film won the People's Choice Award for Midnight Madness. It has been selected as the French entry for the Best International Feature at the 94th Academy Awards. God, I love that that's happening. Isn't it brilliant? That's hilarious. Um, So, yes, so this film very much caused quite a stir (laughs) at Cannes and there has been lots of talk about it. Um, What were your expectations for this film and what is your relationship to Julia? Um, my expectations for it were quite high really I really liked Raw even though it makes me squirm and I'd heard lots of high praise after Cannes I didn't know a huge amount about 
this particular film but did know some key things which were enough to draw me in um it was really interesting having re-watched raw a couple of weeks ahead mm. of seeing this we went to see it at the cinema because previously we'd both just watched it at home and it was fine watching it at home it was very intense but i don't think i'd realized or remembered how intense the film was until we had to physically sit in the cinema to watch it and yeah. we were like no escape fully writhing in our seats with no escape so i was sort of hoping that we would have the same experience with mm. this i don't know how you felt yeah it's really interesting because i remember watching raw and liking it but when we saw it at the cinema i think that's the first time i've gone back to watch a film and loved it a lot more Same. so yeah. i had this entirely new it's like a revelation i had this entirely new appreciation for it um, and thought it was absolutely brilliant. Like, really loved it. Yeah. Despite the fact that there is a good third of it that I can't watch. 100%. Yeah, absolutely vile. But it's brilliant. I think winning the Palme d'Or as, like, a very unlikely choice and being dubbed basically the most shocking film of 2021 mm. certainly raised the stakes for me. I love a controversial film like that. And as I'd sort of alluded to before, it I think you really benefit from not knowing much going into this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much at all except... And this is quite well documented that, you know, it has a very Cronenberg-esque crash, somewhat crash-adjacent vision to it. Take what you want from that. Um, so I'd anticipated a body horror, which is, you know, a genre that Julia has sort of proven herself to be extremely good at based mm -hmm. off of Raw. So yeah. I was really looking forward to this. Um, and fully anticipated squirming again in the way that we did before. But it, it is very hard to know what to anticipate with this film. Yeah, because I'd sort of, I don't know, I knew I knew the one big thing that happens in it mm -hmm. because it was absolutely unavoidable existing as a person on the internet to yes. not know. Mm -hmm. um, but not even that had really prepared me for like the actual experience of watching it. Yeah. Um, Do you want to give your general reactions in a non-spoiler way to how you found watching this film at the cinema? I think it would have just been a really fun, enjoyable experience anyway. Fun in the loosest sense of the world. But yes. I think that like having come out of last night in Soho and just being quite deflated and tepid as well, just like <sighs> yeah. Like yeah, fine. I was really hoping that like our evening would pick up and it just was like one of the most visceral cinema experiences I've had in a long time, but also perhaps more generally. Um like I said, it was so interesting to do it after we'd watched Raw because that had been intense, but this and this was similarly intense. Um, I just vividly remember like fully just writhing in my seat. Like there was the people to my left were just like just moving all over the place. Like physically like, pushing yourself away, like yeah. you need to get away from the screen. I just oh, it was it was really it was just a lot. It was a lot in like a really, really good way. Um, I think it's got so many interesting ideas about bodily autonomy, gender, trauma, masculinity, parenthood, some of which you might unpack, I guess. Mm. It's extremely evocative of things like Cronenberg, obviously, like you say, mm. um, particularly from a body horror point of view. It's funny... I feel like when we, whenever we've discussed horror and genre and aspects within horror in particular that like you've got a fondness for or I've got a fondness for, I hadn't really ever interrogated a great deal that I actually quite like body horror when I <laughs> like I really I'm a, I'm a I really like David Cronenberg, um, mm. and actually this made me realise like oh actually I sort of do enjoy this stuff even though it's like absolutely excruciating and makes me feel like physically unwell. Mm. There is something quite fun <laughs> about I've, it yeah i kind of reflected on this last year when i was covering a razor head mm. um 
and thinking about a razor head and uh, a razor head was being featured in the evolution of horror on the evolution of horror podcast as their mind and body series so it was very sort of body horror adjacent yeah and i went in there being like oh yeah i'm not really a body horror person yeah and then went on to explain all of the very particular quite woman orientated and sort of coming of age films that are very much body horror yeah. that I really love so it was like oh no I'm not into that at all wow I really love Ginger Snaps wow I really love Raw it's like yeah. these are all body horror it's films it's funny isn't it you're just my initial idea of what a body horror film is yeah. um, is just you know I'm like wow Hellraiser or you know The yeah. Fly or thinking of all these other things that there's just there's a total other subset of body horror well, that I think we're both really drawn to. Yeah, and I think it's funny actually the year after having watched Possessor at last year's London Film Festival, which is obviously Brandon and Cronenberg, so it's a Cronenberg adjacent, but that in a sense was sort of such, bo- such like, body horror. We've done that twice in a year. Yeah. These have been like very specific choices we've made to Absolutely. see at it's funny, London it? Film Festival. Um, and yeah, as you say, like it's it's just very funny to be like, oh, I'm not a gore person. I don't watch. I don't watch gory films yeah. and I'm not really into violence and then watch so, appreciate something like this which yeah. ticks both boxes. Yeah, that's absolutely was absolutely my feeling on it. It just I, in the days afterwards I was just thinking about that in particular because it is a conversation that we've obviously had on many occasions before. Um the only other thing thing I wanted to mention as well is that like Raw had some really really great needle drops and has a very good soundtrack and this is exactly the same like they're so well executed and it's just she's obviously got a very very good eye for pairing scenes or for just soundtracking scenes so good so good i completely agree yeah i completely agree with all of that it was really nice to see this in a cinema with people this is like event cinema yeah to get to go from last night in Soho that where there were very tepid reactions, especially afterwards, to go to something like this where people were sort of like physically recoiling, um, people were leaving, yep. two people fainted. Yep. And I, I mean, I would say that I'm sure that was a mixture of conditions because it was very hot in there. It was very warm. It's a it? very large venue. I think some people felt a bit trapped. So there's a whole mix of things. I don't think it's necessary a film that's going to make lots of people, you know, it's not uh-huh. The Exorcist. But it didn't surprise me actually that some people did have a reaction like that and felt like they needed to leave. But that kind of also not added to the fun of it but do you know what i it mean it was like, no, no no you're right it's it's funny that you, it's funny that you call it like event cinema because it absolutely was like I, i'm sure we would have had a great time if we'd watched it at home mm. but i was so glad that we got to see this in a cinema one of the things i really missed from last year's festival when we watched possessor mm. was that that would have been great and we cinema had to setting. watch it at home and you were in your house and mm-hmm. i was in my house and we'd obviously watching it at the same time so we were texting but there were just so many things in Possessor that I was just like oh god if we'd seen this in a cinema I I reckon the reaction to right? that scene would have been like Is people like the losing physical it physical reaction the vocal reaction yeah. like people complaining laughing yeah. like all of that aspect. and that's why I'm so glad that we got to see Titan in the cinema with a huge crowd because it's exactly those reactions that like really feed into just the overall experience yeah yeah and it's it's a very I'd alluded to the fact that it's it is quite an unpredictable film mm-hmm. in that I think we both predicted the sort of body horror aspect and that it would be quite I say physically challenging to watch as in it was challenging to watch the physical aspects of it. Yeah. But it's actually surprisingly emotionally challenging too and you know that premise of sort of a young girl with a titanium plate and her relationship to cars in particular is sort of taken in 
a very unpredictable direction for me. So I never really knew where the film was going to go no. next. Um, it might not be entirely perfect, but I can't decide. I don't think I do like it more than Raw, although I think I just really, I don't know. I just had such a wonderful time watching Raw last time, but I could easily flip-flop between which of the two I I love most. But I just, I found, I did find this extremely absorbing and challenging, kind of absurd. It was just like, as you say, fun, but not fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And a test of stamina, which sometimes is kind of a bit fun. But none of it felt um, unnecessary as well, which I'm sure is something we'll go on to. Um, So if those were our general general thoughts, which were very positive, let's talk uh, a bit more sort of in a a spoilery way about the storytelling and the general themes of this film. So what did you think? I just feel like um, Julia Tukanao is really good at like, almost putting you off the scent or setting things off as throwaway or incidental to the narrative. So one of the things here that you're presented with is that Alexia is a serial murderer, but those deaths or the reasons behind those deaths or the incentives or the drive aren't necessarily what we're interrogating or that we're being asked to follow along with. They're sort of just the force behind her running away. Mm -hmm. And then meeting Vincent and then obviously subsequently impersonating Adrienne. So Mm. I just, I think it's really clever how all of that stuff, the, the, all of that murderous buildup almost is not explained. We just sort of have to intimate that it's something to do with that childhood trauma. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There's no context to it. No, it's just that like you're, you, you meet this character and then you're sort of given this flashback of what, like what was happened to them as a kid and then Um, this is who she is now and that's just who she is now and it's like is this um ongoing affection for cars something that like predated the accident or that was triggered by the accident is the are the murderous tendencies triggered by the accident or is it just something that has always been to be a killer with a metal plate in her head yeah Yeah, so I, i just think that that's so interesting to me like the execution of that was really really clever and then Obviously, I'd mentioned that I think it's got lots of interesting ideas. I just think there's so much in here about gender, gender pre- mm-hmm. presentation, binaries. Um, I think I'd said to you immediately afterwards, I think it would be really interesting to read like a trans writer's response to it or at least a trans reading of the film as a yes. whole because I think that there's so much in there intimated and also things that are actually presented mm-hmm. on screen. Um, and that in itself I just thought was really, really clever. Um, with regards to the violence, I feel like it works in the context mm. of the film it's obviously gratuitous but it's also not because it feels yep. like it has narrative function it doesn't yep. feel excessive it's not there for just the shock factor but it also does make you sit up and pay attention mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah um, absolutely and i feel like it's that sort of sense of fearlessness where Alexia's concerned which then i think personally then taps back into it's indicative of her attitude towards her body and its limitations mm-hmm. which i then i think comes out of the trauma that, and the accident that she had as a child. Mm. So it feels like there's so many things there that you could pick apart in, but it all it's all interconnected. So yeah. when I was thinking about this, you know, the story and the violence and, and trauma, it, everything mm. felt connected in a way that initially, I think when we watched it, I, it felt like a sharp turn and like, mm. oh, okay, well, we're leaving that behind. But then actually, the more I think about it, does come back it all, round yeah that it makes all sense? fits together doesn't it and you say about her sort of 
Lex's sort of fearlessness and the fact that the camera doesn't look away, no. it's fearless as well. Like yep. it would, it wouldn't have felt right actually to move away on some of those particularly sort of violent mm-hmm. and sort of self mutilating aspects. Yeah. Actually, like some of the violence that I really struggled with was the violence that she inflicted on herself. Yep. But yeah, we don't look away from that because no. actually, she, as you say, like she's utterly. But that that in itself feels like a car crash. In that, like yeah. you know, you, it's that age old thing of like you just can't look away. Can't look away. Yes, I did look away. I'll be honest. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but and it and it it does set up an expectation that this film and from the marketing and from the reactions I read, it is you know it's this shocking film. It's I was like, well, okay, it's going to feed into sort of French extremity. Um, you know, you've got this child suffering trauma, as you say. Mm-hmm. They probably, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe we'll learn that as a result she's developed this strange fetish and mm-hmm. then she becomes a yep. killer, as you yep. say. Um, but it doesn't necessarily play out like that. In the, the ordering way that it's told. of it. Yeah, no. it doesn't. And then it kind of turns into this kind of melancholy family drama. Mm-hmm. And it's as much about parents and children and motherhood and Ducourneau has sort of said it's very much a story about love. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, upon first reading, you'd be like, love, like, that's not, it's not a love story, is it? But actually, you can completely see what mm-hmm. she means. And she's talked about in her filmmaking how she wants to show sort of like how everything that people find repulsive could be shown as human. There's a lot of tenderness there. There was a lot of tenderness in Raw. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not what you'd expect. No, and I, I I find that so so interesting because the the inciting incident, as it were, the the thing that I think came out of the film festivals as this like mm. oh my god this film's so shocking it happens so early it usually on. lasts like so little time I was really surprised by how quickly it happens into the film yeah um, and then that's it and then it happened and I was like oh okay cool we've we've peaked with that have we. Where is it going to go now then? Because I'd assumed, mm. wrongly or rightly, based on what I'm not sure whether it was just what I'd read, that it, that was going to be what we would be yes. building up to. Yeah. But actually, it's just not. And no. it, it veers off in the direction of this like tender, mm-hmm. more familial, sort of, I don't know, interrogation of parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, yeah. or all the hoods. You know, like it, yeah. it, it just veered off in a direction that I just didn't anticipate, but was so well executed and it's interesting that you mentioned the tenderness in Raw because Mm. that was something that I don't think I'd really given a huge amount of thought to the first time around it was only when we saw it again much clearer on second viewing much much clearer that relationship between the two sisters Mm -hmm. in particular and and the sort of strange relationship that they have with their parents which you learn later on Mm. is for a particular reason but that it just felt a lot more prominent yeah. on the second viewing of that. So yeah. the, the the two films, I suppose, in that regard do have the, the they similarity They sit together there. quite yeah. similarly, don't they? Yeah, definitely. What did you think of the performances then? Um, Agathe Roussel was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, just quite a striking presence on screen. I don't know, like, does... It's not that she's very expressionless, because that's not what I mean at all. No, but I know she what you just, mean, though. She felt very well realised and very mm-hmm. much embodied that character... Because I feel like Alexia is someone that is quite complex and there's obviously a lot going on, a lot behind the, I don't know, mask, as it were. Um, 
but she just manages to convey it so well, particularly that way that she sort of has to adapt to the situation and has to sort of change who she is Mm. from the exterior when something is going on inside her Mm. in such an interior way. Like she does manage to balance that interiority. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of transformation in this film for her, actually, Mm. isn't there? And I mean, it's amazing that she's. I mean, from I think she's basically an inexperienced actor that mm-hmm. Julia found kind of like someone found for her on Instagram. Basically, she's a model. Yeah, she's a model. So she's she? not she's not an actor, but her physicality is so extreme. As you say, there's like levels of pain that she inflicts on herself. There's like sexual highs, and then there's different stages of sort of transformation into motherhood, and yeah. as you say, sort of that genderless. It's, there's like so much going on there from her performance. Yeah. For someone that doesn't doesn't act, that's crazy. And it's also interesting in the sense that there's a real lack of dialogue because for mm. a, for her in particular, because for a significant proportion of the film, she occupies the space of of essentially another person. Yeah. But one of the ways that she's able to get away with doing that is by mm. sort of just occupying this mute yes. status having been through a traumatic time then she sort of uses not having to talk to someone as a way Mm. of really having to explain yes a huge amount about what she's been doing so she manages to do all of this without really having to say a huge amount and the things that she does say are just so small and staccato and and just not laboured yeah that makes sense like how do you do that without any prior experience extremely it's extremely physical performance without being like physical in the huge sense that you would often use that term Mm. to describe so she was brilliant um vincent linden though as the fire captain god that role came out of like nowhere for me i just had not expected that in the slightest one of one of the best performances i've seen this year i think in anything he was just the 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 fire captain's also called vincent as well so it's not just me forgetting his name um he was brilliant like there's a lot going on with his character with regards to grief and loss and processing his own trauma, Mm. but also kind of interrogating who he is and his position within his job and the the patriarchal role that he occupies within the fire service that he's working within. You know, he's like house captain, he's top dog, he's the boss. Physically very masculine. But he's ageing. He's a physically masculine person, but he's ageing and he's so aware of the declining status of his masculinity and his place within the hierarchy. And there's just so much going on. And for him to essentially just turn up like, you know, halfway through. Yeah. And just... And that to be the crux stuff. of the story yep. is really his relationship with Alexia Adrian. Like, is yeah, it just fully came out of nowhere for me. I didn't anticipate it. No, and it was really. I'm glad that wasn't alluded to in any way no. by like the trailer or yep. the, the sort of reviews that were coming out of Cannes and you know other places. But the look and feel of this film, which I I just wanted to touch upon before we finish. So things like just the style and the music, as you say, and there's again, there's just like feast for the sense in terms of the way it's put together all of the aesthetics of it i just felt incredibly immersed in it so it begins with obviously the neon car show at the start Mm. paired with this sort of like summery beach location of wherever it's set in france the where alexis family seemed to live then that's obviously sort of contrasted with like the stark strip light and gray of the runaway and then the Mm. life of the firefighters so there's a lot going on like visually from an aesthetic point of view like lots of very specifically stylized locations which are which are 
extremely rooted in reality though mm-hmm. it's not like they're hyper real no. or hyper stylized or anything like that like they are just recognizable situations yeah. but the rendering of them was just very well executed um the thing i have noticed about having i'm sorry that i keep referring back to raw but it's just really interesting no i think the they do make a very interesting pair the thing i noticed about raw which i think that um Dukana does it executes extremely well here as well is that she really knows how to shoot light shoot and light and film bodies in such an interesting way so separate from the the body horror aspect there's the dancing scene in this and where the fire crew are blowing off steam Mm. whilst dancing to future islands which is one of the needle drops yes um there's the opening scene with at the car show with Mm. the dance to the kills yeah and then there's the bastille day celebration moshing which is followed by this really strangely sensual lap dance type thing (laughs) to the zombies and and there are these like three particular musically soundtrack heavy Mm. scenes that reminded me a lot of of things that she does in raw Raw. yeah with regards to like crowds and bodies Mm. and music and lighting and it is a real contrast to those more violent aspects yeah violent physical scenes is these quite the dancing the parties the sort of like the, the physical highs well it's just it's like extremely like sensual yeah like the the future island scene where it's just this bunch of like <laughs> extremely hyper masculine right. men blowing off steam having a night off dancing around to future islands and it's like steamy and yeah. like extremely bisexual lighting and smoky yeah, yeah, yeah. and different like and it's just this weird like extremely juxtap it's just really a lot of yeah. juxtaposition going on but i was just like this is one of the best things i've seen this year i feel like we're getting a real sense for um Ducourneau's, like style yeah now. like having seen two yeah. sort of full-length films being like ah okay this is a thing you do really well and yeah. a thing that you like to do and as you say those like musical those needle drops like things like future island really stick they're very well done because they really stick in your mind yeah. like, i really vividly remember the blood red shoes song yes, from raw yes. i always remember that and i'm like ah oh, and when that came on again in the cinema i was like fuck this bit's so yeah. good um and i just feel really enthused by it yeah it's um i don't know it just it felt like such a weirdly specific band as well but it's not like it's a I don't know. It's like a moment Famous in time popular. as well, it's such a isn't ma- it? It's such like, a moment whoa, in time. Whoa, I remember this song. Yeah, because that was the thing for us, wasn't it? Is that like the following day we were like talking about Future Islands and, and yeah. being like, oh, I remember that when they had that musical performance. And we, we, all, and we just sat yeah. listening to them and I was like, God, this feels like such a, such a moment in time. But I just, the execution of that was just just really brilliant and it's just really stayed with me. And I think you're right in that it really shows this emerging and continual like, visual style that she obviously will or hopefully will continue to replicate Mm. but not repeat and i think that's the interesting thing it's not just like oh you did it really well in raw let's just bring that back and and do it again like it's this they're comparable but actually very very distinct in their own unique ways yeah they're like you say nice pairing but um do very different things and we've read i think you know you and i both read reactions online with some people liking one and not the other so Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean you'll love them both but i'm so pleased we saw this and it lived up to my expectations i loved it so much and I also think it's just so funny that Julia is kind of this extremely tall, French, beautiful, blonde woman. And she's putting out these films that I think 
like on the surface people were going and i know this has been alluded to people just kind of go like huh yeah these are the films that you and it's like yeah i'm a fucking mind like i'm really good at this shit i find wow i find her so fascinating and it was really great that she and vincent linden and angat brussel were at the screening as well what amazing they all looked amazing all looked amazing and she just turned up and looked like this absolute like glamorous like 7,000 foot tall like just completely not what you would expect no someone and I know that that's like absolutely like bollocks you know judging someone based on what they look like but, but that's, it's not what I mean at all like I just the think, general expectation yeah. isn't it? I don't think it's our expectation but there is this sort of like dorky Cronenbergian expectation yeah, of like yeah. who makes these kinds of yeah. films and it's like that is not like those are not the minds that this just comes from. Like, she's, a, she's a real, she's a real mind. And a I real... just really enjoy like seeing her yeah. as well as and hearing of, her talk as yeah, well. Yeah, hearing was... her talk and seeing her in person is just like yeah, you're like a you're a cool force. I think she knows that people have an expectation of her, and actually, I think that she's able to subvert that and manipulate that in such an interesting way. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Mm. So after seeing Titan and last night in Soho. We had a nice breather for the day and then we went back in to see Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. We did. I've got the full title here, which I completely forgot that it was. I forgot there's a full title. Go on. The French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. But it's just The French Dispatch, so don't worry. Yeah, no Um, one's remembering that. No, so it's um, an anthology film written, directed and produced by Wes Anderson from a story he conceived with Roman Coppola, Hugo Guinness and Jason Schwartzman. Um, As always, with Wes Anderson, the film uh, has a large ensemble cast featuring... I've got some names, but not all of them, so apologies if I miss any of your favourites. Just do top bill cast. (laughs) uh, Benito de Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilden Swinton, Leia Sadu, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Matthew Almarack, Stephen Park, Bill Murray and Owen Wilson. The plot follows three different storylines as the French Foreign Bureau of a fictional Kansas newspaper creates its final issue. There are some additional cast members, I've just realised, and um, that includes Lev Schreiber, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, Sasha Ronan, Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, Christoph Waltz, Henry Winkler, Bob Balaban and Angelica Houston. There are literally too many to list, so yeah. sorry about that. Um, so it's Wes Anderson's 10th film after 2018's Isle of Dogs. The film has been described as, quote, a love letter to journalists set at an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city, which does focus on four stories. It brings to life a collection of tales published in the eponymous French Dispatch based in the fictional French city of Ennui sur Blasé, which translated means boredom on blase. The film itself is widely inspired by Wes Anderson's love of the New Yorker and some of the characters and events on the film are based on the real life equivalents from the magazine. Following a delay because of the famous pandemic, um, pandemic. French Dispatch had its world premiere at Cannes on July the 12th. I mean, it's scheduled to be released theatrically this week. um, So on the 22nd of October 2021, finally. So after all of that, what were your expectations heading into this? Because I feel like we have slightly different approaches to Wes Anderson, not necessarily a negative way, just in a, I don't know, Oh, yeah. I think you're a bigger fan than me, yeah, basically. basically. Um, I'm, like, sort of not on the fence about Wes Anderson. I'm more, like, more positively <laughs> aimed in a more positive direction, but I'm sort of on the fence. I'm kind of lukewarm. Mm-hmm. I think the last film I saw was The Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think I probably liked best I of would, his I think, films. I think arguably it's probably it's his best. Yeah, I mean, I've probably seen 50% of his stuff. Sure. And... 
I think his style, his visual style is an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Like the pale colour palettes and dare I say it, the sort of more twee, twee's a horrible word. Twee aspects. You can say twee. Twee, you know, is not always for me. So I would probably, within the context of something like London Film Festival, not usually go out of my way to see like a gala performance of a Wes Anderson film. Mm-hmm. However, obviously I was sold on the mammoth cast for it's this. It's mad. Like it's insane. Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Benicio de Toro, Sasha, you know, everyone you mentioned is absolutely crazy. So for that reason, that was like the biggest selling point to me. Mm-hmm. And I did like this idea of sort of a love letter to journalism. I was, for some reason, an aspiring journalist myself when I was younger. So I there were sort of tropes and ideas there that I thought could be kind of quite fun. And I had probably quite crucially seen on social media that this was an anthology film or a series of sort of vignettes. So I think my expectations going in around the structure of this film were on point. Like, I think I my expectations around that were matched. Yeah. Um, which, you know, some people might not have known what to expect mm-hmm. in the same way. But yeah. I kind of yeah, knew yeah. that people would have their scenes together and then it would move on. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I went in looking forward to the performances and wondering whether I would kind of come out thinking like, yeah, I really liked, you know, that is a really good Wes Anderson film or whether I would just, it was also quite possible that it would leave me completely cold. Sure. How about you? I was hyped. <laughs> um, You're a little bit excited. Yeah, I was just thinking that we are sat in the, in the room in my house, which has just like a wall of Wes Anderson prints and artwork. So, yeah, we sort of undersold the April's Wes Anderson fan aspect. I just... It's because I tend not to interrogate it too much anymore because I'd made it such a huge part of my personality from about the age of about 14 to probably about 25. Like, it basically was my defining characteristic was, like, oh, I like Wes Anderson because it's the quirky twee thing. It's so different to me as well. What a pairing. Yeah, but... I, so I think I just don't tend to interrogate it a huge amount now, but I, it is only when I come in this particular room and there is literally just, like, the majority of those are Wes Anderson-oriented. Nobody can see this because it's a, a notoriously visual medium, podcasts. Uh, but, so, yeah, um, I was looking forward to it, really, but my... My problem with Wes Anderson is that I will lap up anything he does so I find it often quite hard to interrogate and um, the concept of this particular film was intriguing I had been left moderately like whatever about Isle of Dogs um, I'm a big dog fan generally but <laughs> you can't mm, just be sold on something because it's got dogs no in it. it's it's fine it's probably my least favorite of his for a variety of reasons I won't go into now but the cast for this French Dispatch was brilliant ahead of time so I was just intrigued really heading in um so what were your general reactions to the experience of watching it I find it interesting that you mention that you had an awareness of the structure of how the film was put together Mm. because that's something in particular that I think I would like to interrogate but tell me how you found it your experience of watching it what you thought spoiler free I mean generally I found it quite interesting and an impressive piece of filmmaking like I enjoyed it some bits were definitely stronger than others for me but Mm -hmm. overall I had a good time I liked this structure uh the unusual structure the four vignettes um and their parallels with sort of literary magazines broken Mm -hmm. down by you know travel obituaries food all of these kinds of things of the four stories I would say one was very engaging Two had their moments and one, for some reason that I am I still can't quite work out, entirely lost me, um, which we can discuss more a bit later. So half of it 
had me really on board and half of it I was like yeah that was all right I do wonder if the trailer in particular maybe missold the structure for some people I I don't know how I came across because I didn't read many reviews the sort of structural aspect on social media but I did it's very Wes Anderson in terms of style Mm -hmm. so if you don't like his work if you're really not a fan like I don't like Wes Anderson there is absolutely nothing here that I think will win you over no um and that's fine if you do enjoy Wes Anderson, I'm. I think this is a film that would greatly benefit from repeat viewing to catch lots of details. Yeah. Because it is immensely detailed, and it's obviously a joy to see so many actors playing kind of off the wall comic roles. I haven't thought about it loads since. Sure. But I did have a nice time. Yeah. How fair. About you. Fair. Um, I am really intrigued by the structure of it and how it's being sold more broadly. I think it's really not as straightforward as you are sort of led to believe from the trailer. I think I'd said to yeah, you. Yeah. No, it's really not. <laughs> I went to the cinema the day after we saw this to see another film, and it was the first time I'd had to encounter the trailer because I'd just been quite selective with what trailers I do and don't watch these days. And I was really intrigued having obviously then seen the film how it is being sold really and I think that it's not that it's mis-selling it but I think that a lot of people will subsequently go into it thinking one thing and perhaps not realizing that it is more of an anthology structure and people's mileage on that might vary I think generally as a whole the film your mileage will vary on it depending on what your personal tolerance for all of the Wes Anderson stylistic yes, quirks yeah, it's are. going to be entirely dictated by that I because would it's, say. it's full of everything that you come to expect but also I think that so uh, that aside the Wes Anderson aspect of it aside which is inevitable and I do think that at this stage he's not making films for anyone other than no, people that like his I think it's perfectly fine. It's fine you're not trying to win anyone new over no 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 absolutely not and and people come to it for that and actors want to be part of your projects because you have a very for specific that, yeah. visual style and you know many great directors before him have, have had that so that's that's not really a bone of contention for me at all because I am obviously a fan I think the thing that came out of a conversation I had with someone was that I think with this your familiarity with the influences and homages to which it clearly owes a debt will subsequently affect your yes. interest in it so I would say 100% like at the, at the screening that we attended they handed out copies of the magazine which mm-hmm. I absolutely lapped up because that's one of my favorite things about Wes Anderson is the sheer attention to detail mm. it will probably end up on that wall at some stage but I feel like it would be really interesting to know how this film is received by someone who hasn't at some point tried to make like the concept of reading the New Yorker part mm-hmm. of their personality because if you're not familiar with the structure of that magazine or the way that magazine works or the history of that specific magazine and indeed a lot of the like movements that the film is is depicting and the films that it is referring to visually, structurally, all of that, I do sort of feel like it'll be lost on a lot of people. 100%. I would say there were, like, parts of this that were beyond me. Yeah. Because it wasn't in my remit of, um, like, general interest. Yeah, fine. So there were sort of allusions and themes I did understand. Yeah. And then other bits where I went, well, that's clearly an allusion to something, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, like, yeah, completely. So it does make it a little bit impenetrable for people who don't have that prior investment or yeah, knowledge. no, um, I think you're right. Yeah, it is a bit of a weird mix of like it's not like high and low culture but there's just sort of like almost like general knowledge and then a very specific knowledge of it's just um, literary magazines like you say like the new yorker that is going to be like if you don't have that prior knowledge it's it's kind of like 
there's a bit of a club of people who yeah. are going to get it and then there's others who are just absolutely not and I they're going to find it a bit frustrating yeah that's completely fair and i think that like the new yorker as a concept isn't necessarily a niche thing because obviously it's a, a historical magazine mm. that has a huge cultural influence and has had a, a huge cultural impact beyond just the the journalism sphere you know but i think like it's really interesting thinking about um being a british person and thinking like actually if i didn't necessarily have a vested interest in like american literature mm. or american culture you know from just from a personal point of view then actually like do most people even know what the new yorker is <laughs> like there's probably a large group of people who do watch quite a lot of Wed anderson who wouldn't yeah and even you know even though they they feel like they go hand in hand mm. yeah and it makes sense that he would make a film like this so in that sense um it might be useful to move on to the sort of st- general structure of the film and the style because i think those are the things that i think are worth interrogating a little bit more particularly just from a i don't know because the structure is interesting really and i think it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it too much yes. not that i think there's a huge amount to spoil but I, you know spoiler there warning. isn't actually there isn't a lot to no. spoil but yes yeah, spoiler alert um i don't have loads to add other than yeah you've got these four kind of stories that vary quite wildly in length so the travel column at the beginning with owen wilson yeah is very brief yeah. it sort of cycles around town and commentates on its various features it's almost like a of, scene setting yeah it's the scene setting sort of brief pretty funny and then we've got the concrete masterpiece with tilda swinton and Benicio del Toro and Leah Sedu and Adrian Brody, which is probably the one I enjoyed the most, actually. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know why, but I did. I had varying levels. I don't know why I had varying levels of attention span for this film, and I was quite engaged in this bit. Um, revisions to a manifesto with Frances McDormand and Timothy loved seeing. Wasn't always entirely sure what was going on personally. Mm-hmm but loved to see them together. And then the private dining room with the police commissioner with Jeffrey Wright um, and Willem Dafoe and Sasha Ronan and that kind of kidnap plot with the police commissioner's son. I don't know whether it was the length of it, but I just completely lost the plot and my attention oh, waned there. Okay. Um, and I spoke to Mike, my friend Mike afterwards, and he said exactly the same thing, that he like complete... For some reason... He was like, it just completely lapsed and maybe it was too long, but he just, it didn't work for him, which is very interesting because I think lots of people would probably think that was one of the stronger storytelling elements of it. But for some reason, I honestly don't know why it was. It was like my brain fell out of my head and I just stopped paying attention. Um, It's really interesting that you mentioned that that's the point at which your attention or interest or engagement with it tailed off slightly because I think actually for me that was the, the one that I wished was the whole thing. Yeah. I really liked that's that. That's interesting. And that's only because... Was it placed in... Maybe it should have been placed earlier. I don't know what it was. The ordering of it is interesting, I think, because I think if that had been in the middle, I think it perhaps would have had more engagement. Maybe that's what it is then. Yeah. I think it's interesting, really, because that particular section, so the private dining room of the police commissioner by Roebuck Wright. Roebuck Wright... Mm in the film is supposed to be um Jeffrey Wright is playing like a proto James Baldwin AL yes, labeling type character yeah. and i think for me that's why i was most engaged with it and found it most interesting because James Baldwin extremely famous mm. notable writer um in this so the the character in this film is positioned as an outsider in France who's then subsequently paired with another outsider who's the chef Nescafier who's played by Stephen Park and i found it interesting and ironic, really, because 
one of the big criticisms that often gets thrown at Wes Anderson films is they're extremely littered with white people and their re- representations mm. of culture more broadly is extremely one note. And I found it just very, not enlightening, or that's not the right word, but I just found it really interesting that that's where my level of engagement with it was like I wanted more of it yeah and and something I thought was interesting that you said is that like Wes Anderson doesn't necessarily like no there's nothing new really in his films like they're very like you get what you come for because it's a Wes Anderson film yeah. you know mm-hmm. um but that was the first time in ages where I've kind of gone like oh actually that you should there do was more, more to of interrogate that. there you should do more of that there's yeah. real emotional weight there with that particular character and I would love to have seen more of him and his life because that feels quite different to anything that you've done in a significant period of time mm. but I think that you're right in that the placing of it and the pacing of it is I think it's probably different. the longest I think vignette. it's the longest and maybe yeah. that sitting at the end doesn't quite work it was almost like I'd spent so much time concentrating that I was running out of steam a bit so maybe the ordering wasn't yeah, quite right because I think the one thing is that like it's obviously classically Wes Anderson's style but which then subsequently means that it's almost beyond parody at this stage like the attention to detail in it is always so extreme it's yes. hyper stylized possibly over stylized especially because at this point like the Wes Anderson aesthetic is like such a like culturally a thing. You're right. Like, it is almost parody. It is yeah. almost parody at this point. Because isn't like there? there's a you there's could an, do an SNL sketch on Wes Anderson. Yeah. There's a there's an Instagram account that I follow that's called Accidentally Wes Anderson, right. and it's just like photos of like buildings and places around the world that are like oh that looks like it's in pale a Wes Anderson palettes film. and like yeah. oddly symmetrical yeah. and yep. yeah yep. and it feels often now that like mid-century it, furniture yeah it feels like a bit like the snake eating the tail you know yeah. like every frame is a painting it's a very specific aesthetic he does have a knack of making like real life look like stop motion but um I re-watched Grand Budapest Hotel a few months ago in the prep for French Dispatch coming out and one thing I was thinking about is when I was a really heavy active Tumblr user yes one of my favorite things about Tumblr was coming to it at a, at a time where like people had suddenly start screen capping scenes in films mm. and Wes Anderson films are extremely good for that yeah because there are so layered because there is such detail they just make nice like snapshots nice frames yeah so that was just something that i was thinking mm. a lot about this is actually yeah like you this would end up on someone's t- da- tumblr dashboard it's interesting that you mentioned like the emotional connection with that fourth story as well because i felt like i from my limited experience like there's often very much a sense of sort of melancholy or sentimentalism mm-hmm. lots of yeah. things in wes anderson's filmmaking and that felt like quite missing in a lot of this film mm-hmm. like it felt quite it's not surface at all but like there wasn't like a lot of I didn't feel a lot of close connection with no. those characters at all. I, I was watching those sort of like scenes unfold. Yeah. Um and those snapshots and sort of short stories unfold. But as you say, like that fourth one felt like it hit a bit deeper. But the yeah. others didn't. They no. were quite surface level to an extent. I think the length of them means they're quite underdeveloped. Yeah. And maybe it's that last one that actually suddenly something Because it's comes, got a bit more time. Something's comes through. Yeah. I mean the thing I kept thinking about was there's a short film called um Hotel Chevalier, which is thirteen minutes long and is somehow to me more memorable than the film to which it's connected which is Darjeeling Limited oh okay and it's Jason Schwartzman and Natalie Portman in a hotel room in Paris and it sort of gives some backstory for Jason Schwartzman's character that is in the Darjeeling Limited and I think about that often when I don't think about Darjeeling Limited at all very often so I was just thinking about that actually and how Wes Anderson manages to sort of I don't know convey 
this character's backstory in a 13-minute period that gives really good context for the film. Yeah. But that's fine. But there was something slightly underdeveloped in some of the other aspects to it. I mean, look, I think there are there are there is stuff in it thematically, like love, loss, grief, family, community. The whole structure is that it's obviously Bill Murray plays a character who's head editor of a of a publication and he occupies this like father type role. Mm. Um but then that's just like subtext that's reading into it. I don't necessarily think that's overtly yeah, there in the no. way that it often is with a lot of his films. So No, it was sort of I wasn't sure what I was taking away yeah. from yeah, it yeah, necessarily. Of course, of course. Like I knew what I had sort of at the time whilst watching it. I'm not really sure what I took away from yeah, it. That makes thought sense. about afterwards. Yeah, completely. Which isn't to say it was bad. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, I think I'm looking forward to seeing it again because I think there's there's a lot there mm-hmm. detail-wise. I th- oh, yeah, it's so... I mean, as you say, like, it's so detailed. It's so meticulous. Like, it, there's so much to take from it. Yeah, and I think his films generally benefit from repeat viewings a lot of the time mm. because there are so many things happening so i'm looking forward to seeing it again and seeing what i take away from it a second time but i mean like we've said off the bat it's just wes anderson being wes anderson and if that's what you're into and if that's something that you absolutely have enjoyed over the oh you then you'll like it to 30 year period he's been making films then like you're gonna love this i just don't think your position will change no not at Um, all however i can also appreciate like the performances were great like there's a lot of people to enjoy in this and as you say you can tell that people are coming to this Wes Anderson project because it's Wes Anderson and they're having a great time doing it there's some really great pairings of people in this as well you know you've got that mix of sort of some newcomers and some regular Wes Anderson faces which Mm -hmm. is really nice um there's not enough Sasha Ronan I'll say that one thing I was just going to say on the performance front is that it's such a big ensemble cast that sometimes people would turn up... Some people got, like, 15 seconds. Literally 15 seconds. Imagine, like, coming to this for Saoirse. I mean, she's in it, to be fair, she's in it more than, like, some people are. Now I'm unsurprised that she wasn't at the red carpet gala because she's barely in the fucking thing. Also, she's in the background. So, yeah, as you say, because there are so many amazing people in it, they all separately get about four minutes almost, of their time. Almost too stacked. And I never yeah. like to complain about a cast being stacked, but it was almost too stacked. I think it was too stacked, yeah. yeah. But generally, I mean, certainly not a bad film. I just think what you're bringing into it will probably dictate how you feel about it afterwards. Yeah, completely. So after Wes Anderson experience, we had a week off. We did, back, needed a week to recover. Back to normal life. And then we... Drove to London the following Friday for... Now, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but this was the thing I was most looking forward to. The greatest moment of her life. The greatest moment of my life was... The Having pre- a Wagamama's <laughs> at South Bank Centre. With Claire Biddles. Yes. Which, to be fair... Was, was pretty a, good. Was pretty good. Um, no, it was the premiere of season three of Succession. <laughs> so, what is Succession, you may be asking? Um, well... <laughs> I've never mentioned it. I never mention it. Um, it's an American satirical comedy drama created by Jesse Armstrong, premiered back in June 2018 on HBO and it returned recently for its third season on the 17th of October. Among the series ensemble cast are Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin, Sarah Snook, Matthew McFadden, Nicholas Braun, Alan Ruck and Hiram Abbas, plus Peter Friedman, Natalie Gold and Rob Yang, Ariane Moriad and um, Jay Smith Cameron and 
many others in recurring roles who have been also been promoted to main cast. If you don't know the story of Succession, it follows the Roy family, who are the owners of a media conglomerate called Waystar Royco. The family patriarch, Logan Roy, has experienced a decline in his health and his four children, Connor, Kendall, Roman and Shiv, all who have varying degrees of connection to the company, begin to prepare for a future without their father and each begins vying for prominence within the company. So... Season three, which was what we went to see the first two episodes of. We will only be discussing the first one, though, because we've been able to since rewatch that. Yes. Um, but season three begins in the immediate aftermath of Kendall's press conference bombshell, where he says some things. I just don't want to spoil it for people, but yeah. he says some things. Says something. He says some things, and there's quite the mic drop. So... Oh, I don't know. I'm just very excited that we get to talk about this. So um, we went to the gala screening. Best day of my life. Um, <laughs> Fair. It was it was pretty exciting because obviously this is this was different because we'd been to see films. We've been to see films previously in the past and we'd obviously seen three films the week prior. But this was different because it was television. It sounds like it's a fairly new strand in terms of how developed it was for London Film Festival as well to have like an entire yeah. season within the film festival of TV premieres yeah completely and we were treated with the presence of brian cox kieran culkin sarah snook alan ruck matthew mcfaden j smith cameron would snog them all what a what a handsome bunch and it was just really nice i mean what else to say what a bloody lovely time what a bloody eh? lovely time um it was a late screening wasn't it, it was 9 30 in the evening we got to see the red carpet though we got to see the red carpet got to walk the red carpet i got to go home at 3 a.m acting like a dirty stop out when in fact i had just watched tv hey it was worth it so i mean what were your expectations heading in i mean i think it's worth me saying that i'm a fairly recent succession fan yep. you had pestered me to watch it for approximately <laughs> i don't know the entire duration of it being on tv so far um and what spurned me into action to watch be honest alex skarsgård <laughs> i can't the promise I, of alexander skarsgård in season three of succession i can't believe that i did like two solid years of being like no but can you watch this please can you watch this and you've been like yeah 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 i'll do it eventually I will, I will, I will. and then literally the casting for season three came out and amongst the people that will be turning up was alex skarsgård and i swear to god it felt like god had looked down at me <laughs> and had gone like april i'm gonna help you out here this will pull her over the finish line. This will pull her over the... And I could be really offended that you had chosen to not listen to me, but were paying more attention to Alexander Skarsgård. But I was just grateful. I was so grateful. Because I was like, ha, so now sorry. she's going to have to do it. This is what happens with tall Skarsgård men. It's Fine. Just... So I did. I watched the first two seasons in quick succession. Hey. Ah, and found it extremely engaging for a show that is quite excruciating. I'm not actually very good at sitting through shows like peep show or the thick of it mm -hmm. because it is so excruciating but the writing is so sharp um and the characters are so nasty but also extremely lovable that i don't think you can help yourself so my expectations were just more of the same please and won't it be lovely to watch that i it was actually i wasn't sure what to expect in terms of sitting in a room with other people to watch it yeah so that was i didn't have an expectation there no but it was fun to see the outcome um yeah that's completely fair i mean i obviously had a shocking surprise april had somewhat high expectations for this event i just was pumped like one of the shit things 
one of the shit things like last year wasn't just a cesspit. Um, one of 2020's miseries for me was that we were denied a new series of Succession. It would have come out literally this time last year but because of covid and production halts it was a sad autumn last year without any a season three i mean i it's been two years since season two premiered i've watched the entire thing twice in again in that time so it's not like i've had not had access or an opportunity to just watch succession to my heart's content whilst also bullying every single person i know into watching it but i was just glad you know finally good food something to live for my husband has returned from the war i was just i was hyped and and when it was announced it was going to be at london film festival i was like we have to try i felt like a god getting those tickets i mean i'll tell you now when they went in the basket i was like she's gonna love me forever it wasn't even the top priority in my heart of hearts gone like this that was very kind of you to not prioritize i hadn't but as soon as you were like yeah i've got them i was like well this is the only thing i care about no offense like this is literally (laughs) on the download i was praying for this Yeah. yeah that's the thing i desperately wanted and would have sacrificed everything for so yes was very hyped um i also didn't really know what to expect sitting in a room watching two hours of television with a bunch of other people i I couldn't tell if it was just going to be like going to the cinema or if it was going to be something else and i i don't know like it it completely surpassed my expectations really it was very excitable wasn't it it What's was an so excitable group. It felt like watching a Marvel film. Everyone was losing their minds. It was from the minute that from the minute the cast walked on stage, were introduced on stage to do the little bit of a and mm. it's it's interesting actually. The the Q and A that mm-hmm. we got ahead of this was like much longer, much longer than previous Q and A, much more engaging than anything else that we've had ever. So yeah. that in itself was a delight. But yeah, so the minute they it was they, like by public demand, really, right? wasn't it? The minute they came on stage. The crowd were just losing it, and it was really. It was funny. like being at a gig. It was like being <laughs> it was at a so gig. Funny. Just like screaming, like these are my people. It was like Beyonce had just turned up. Yeah, like but it, it was, was Sarah Snook. It was Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin. Um, it was a really interactive crowd who were just responding to yeah. like every joyous moment, particularly Roman and Jerry. Oh, it was like every time they were in a room together, everyone lost their minds. It was so funny. Clapping, shouting, hollering, hooting. All the COVID no-nos, basically. Yeah, all of the COVID. Everyone swapped saliva with great joy. I just thought I felt really bad for the people sitting next to us because I just kept like jolting anytime anything happened. Grabbing Looking at each other going, (laughs) nothing I think could have prepared me for just the joy of being stuck in a room with like absolute succession madcap weirdos like myself. Like it just... It was a delight. You know, you're just like, oh. It was I've... a well picked bunch, I think. Yeah, like, oh, I found my people. I think the right people managed to get tickets. The right people managed to get and I There think were no it... casual viewers, though. No, and I think it's a testament to actually, like, the level of fandom and the level yeah. of engagement and fanaticism that people have for the show, which I just find funny when it's about a bunch of, like, rich it's people. It's unexpected, isn't it? It is. I think. But I think it's a testament to how well executed the show is so mm. that was the premiere itself what are your reaction to the the episode because i've got a little bit of a primer for for what's happened do we do a spoiler warning yeah so if you've not seen the episode yet if you've not seen any other seasons of the show then obviously perhaps park it here um but in episode one so kendall is in new york with greg carolina and dress while logan who's still in europe is split up his inner circle to help him scramble to make sense of what will happen now kendall has opened up a pr nightmare can of worms uh logan heads to sarajevo where it's got no extradition laws who knew 
Could have gone knew? to the Maldives, but right. went to Sarajevo We've instead. We've learned something new today. Um, so he's with Tom, Carl, Hugo and Frank, while Jerry, Roman and Shiv are sent back to the United States to lay the legal groundwork to help stabilise the company. Connor and Willa are left in Croatia. That's what they're Poor doing. Connor and Willa. Oh. So what did you think of the first episode as, a, as, an, as an opener to the season and for setting the tone for things going forward? I mean, obviously, it was brilliant. It's, I don't know, it, um, it's like highlights so far, all of them. Um, <laughs> Literally it's, everything. It's really, it's interesting to see Kendall almost kind of reawoken and reanimated after spending almost two seasons looking like a lost puppy. He's like a little marionette that suddenly... He's really... like popped up again. It's like, it's like seeing him at the opening of season one again. He's yes. kind of gained new yes. life. Um, now he's publicly fallen out with his father. Yeah, and we're sort of seeing that fallout from Kendall's TV mic drop in real time, immediately afterwards, sort of up close in hotel rooms and cars and apartments, you know, not on like flashy boat locations or, yeah. you know, there's no those, no sort of peripheral distractions. It's really like honing in on those those really fraught relationships. Uh, love that Kendall's main support is Greg at this point, his media monitor. Obsessed. Interesting to see how they initially split off. And yet you can never really give any real weight to that, can you? Because you've got everyone initially rallying around Logan, but you can already tell from this first episode that we're already splintering talking about who's going to be the next CEO. We know that alliances are so easily broken in this show and that it's literally a short car trip away to Kendall in the other apartment. Like, you just can see... You can kind of see the rhythm, how it's going to yeah. go. There's, like, this really nice contrast between this show partly being in that rhythm of knowing that shit's just going to fall out the bottom and, you know, people are going to fuck each other over and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And also not... There's, like, a familiarity to it. And also there's always at least a couple of really shocking moments. Yeah. So that's... I look forward to seeing those extremely enjoyed Jess having to relay Logan and Kendall's conversation over the phone as an opener. So good. The sort of... What does Kendall say in response about the beanstalk? Like, I'm going to climb... He said, I'm going to run up off the fucking beanstalk. Beanstalk. (laughs) It's just amazing. Okay. Awkward. There's a lot of focus on Jerry and Roman in a way that it feels like the showrunners weren't quite expecting. Jerry has sort of naturally progressed into centre stage with the rest of the family based on the strengths of the performances and also the sort of... the fan re- like the audience reactions um jay smith cameron has talked in interviews about the fact that like the writers themselves basically fed off something that had happened between her and and kieran culkin at shiv's wedding there was a sort of an interaction that they had which didn't even make it into the show i think i think they cut it in the edit but the writers saw the way that the two of them interacted because they've got a long history of, of knowing each other for a, for a long period of time. Kieran has worked with Kenneth Lonergan, who's J. Smith Cameron's husband. He's worked with him on a film and a play. So they've mm. known each other for a long time. They've already got a relationship. So they have this interesting dynamic where I think they just fire back at each other because they know how each other yeah. works. Um, and Jay had said that like the writers saw that and were like, huh, okay, that that's an interesting little pairing yeah like interactions that, that they will have that works yeah. and then they they leaned into it and yeah. i think that it's just a testament to those two performers and the way that yeah. they are together that i think it's not really a surprise that the audience has kind of leapt on it and gone like actually like i was everyone's yeah, favorite obsessed. pairing it's isn't my it? my one you pairing 100%. i'll lay you badly but i'll lay you gladly I'll lay, like I'll lay you gladly oh my god amazing that excruciating dynamic between Kendall, Robert and Naomi as well. Oh my God. It's like, it's so funny to go from feeling like 
viewing Kendall as quite a pathetic figure that I feel a bit of sympathy for. To them being like, you know what, when he's a be- when he's a- when he's really hyped, he's like a total bellend as well. Oh like, yeah, he's embarrassing, like mortifying. The the BoJack guys and that it's just he's absolutely mortifying. He- what a silly man. The excruciating air kiss between Tom and Shiv. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because at the end of season two, we left Tom and Shiv in a very precarious position mm-hmm. where they've had that interaction on the beach where Tom says he's really unhappy and then Shiv essentially throws him under the bus on the boat where they're having that dinner scene where they're trying to offer up the blood sacrifice um, and she says that Tom would be you know a perfectly yeah. good person to throw under the bus and that's quite striking so it's really funny to sort of see like they're now having to deal with the fallout of that because mm. it hasn't gone away and that interaction in particular yeah. is just really hasn't gone away and yet there's still sort of Tom is falling back into like supporting Shiv behind the scenes and kind of you know that the, the the play that they're making together and separately at the same time is always really interesting it's this romantic relationship but also a business relationship yeah. the two things are running in tandem and obviously they're interwoven but it's like they are almost both using that to their advantage they um, all simultaneously like high each sell each other to someone else and sabotage them yeah, at the same course, time. Absolutely. So it's like, oh yeah, she should be CEO, but also she shouldn't. Yeah. Like it just it's so funny. I like that I am Carl because I too always need a sandwich as some sort of sustenance to get through a hard meeting. That is a fact. Um so I felt particularly seen by that. Liked the introduction of some more powerful savvy women so we've got lisa arthur and barry schneider barry schneider is a great name by the Isn't way it? so very intrigued by them brian cox's big dick energy just like off screen and on screen what a king is what absolute something king. that i need to interrogate a bit further um and i probably shouldn't have announced to our group whatsapp chat so early in our relationship go hard or go home um, that's my opinion and also just everyone loves a short Culkin King, really? Who knew in 2021 we'd be spending so much time talking about Kieran Culkin's floppy hair? I personally knew that a long time ago, and I will, I will pontificate on that towards the end. I mean, you've covered so many of my favourite things. I just I liked the division of everyone up into little subgroups. Yes, um, I was and just... you know they're just going to switch and do a dance. And yeah, and, just and gonna... that's one of the things I think the show does so well, because you do have these recurring pairings, but then it will peel people off and stick them together and make... Like Greg and Kendall, like all right. Force dynamics. It's interesting, really, because something that was mentioned on a podcast I was listening to this week in the build-up to the episode was that there's this idea that there's never really any proper home base for them. Like, they don't have no, a home. They're, just... they're always either in the office or moving between locations. And this episode felt like absolutely the, the case, which I guess is like, I don't know, is that peak rich person? Oh, they're God, never yeah. Like, they're either in a hotel room or in their second home yeah. or in someone else's office is but i just it's weird isn't it there's no roots there no and i, I it's, it was really interesting seeing these pairings and seeing these alliances so i'm obsessed with the greg kendall alliance and then obviously like tom's obvious jealousy and concern like there's the moment where like tom rings greg yeah to just like like what are you doing blah blah um I just, I just find these new dynamics incredibly intriguing and I'm interested to see where they go. Obviously, Jerry and Roman forever. Um, Shiv's sort of out on her own, though. Yeah. Which I think is going to be really interesting going forward. What's Connor up to? Poor useless Connor. The first pancake, poor Connor. I just... Perhaps he will be president. Maybe. Can you imagine? I just think the writing on this show is absolutely god tier. And it's funny you reference Peep Show and um, Thick of It, like mm. the other things that Jesse Armstrong's worked on. And I do think that he manages to balance this like absolutely excruciating moments with like 
absolute comedy, but then also just things that are quite painful and not not sentimental, but just like yeah. you know, sort of sentimental in a yeah, way. Yeah, I really definitely have an attachment to these characters, which I don't have watching those other shows. No, um, I have got a list of my favorite quotes. When Greg says the internet is big, obviously, and I couldn't read it all. Yes. Really felt quite seen in that moment. Um, The way that Jerry says to Shiv, I'm just a straightforward person. Kendall will self-destruct because it's his Mm favourite. Loved that. Full Baskin and Robbins, 31 favours. Fucked right there. Classic Carl. Fuck the weather, we're changing the cultural climate. Oh yeah, the cultural climate. Um, Carl, if your hands are clean, it's only because your whole house does manicures. That was just... And I'm looking forward to seeing more of the Balkans. Yes. Also, the, I mean, big moment, Greg saying it's like OJ, but without... But if he didn't murder someone and Kendall's like, what if I did? Um, I just... And also want to suck my dick is what he he said to his son as the sexual assault allegations poured in. Amazing. I just, I'm just, I was so, I'm so glad this show is back and I'm so glad that so many people are on board on it now i feel like i was previously off on like my own little succession island not that i'm the only person in the world that's been watching it but like within my wider social Mm -hmm. circle there was in such the minority and it's just been really nice to see everyone kind of engaging with it and getting on board with it um and i i hope that we will get to talk about it more going forward just because nice to share it with other people it's just nice it's nice to talk about things you like isn't it love that for me So last but not least, after our London Film Festival experience, it wasn't long before we got to have another exciting cinematic experience, long awaited. What a few weeks it's been. Oh, what a few weeks. Whirlwind. Um, June or June part one, uh, as it is not known by anyone, but it's very important to remember this is part one, is an epic science fiction film directed by Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. With a screenplay by John Spates, Villeneuve and Eric Roth. Uh, Villeneuve is, of course, known for directing Prisoners, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, amongst others. And Dune is the first of a planned two-part adaptation of the 1965 novel of the same name by Frank Herbert. which And this film that we're talking about now primarily covers the first half of the book. It is the second film adaptation of the novel following David Lynch's 1984 film, which I think is the only Lynch film I haven't watched I've to not seen date. It. No, got it on Blu-ray, haven't watched it yet. And Villeneuve said he would not be taking any elements from that film. Uh, the premise, very briefly, so set in the far future, the film follows Paul Atreides of the noble house Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding. He must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe, Arrakis, to ensure the future of his family and his people. As war breaks out between the native Fremen people and the enemy invaders, the House Harkonnen, over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. That sounds like the back of the DVD blurb. Lovely. The film stars an ensemble cast. It's our second ensemble cast of uh, this podcast. <laughs> Includes Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem, and many others. And this film has been in development since 2016, um, with Villeneuve signing on as director in January 2017. He worked on the screenplay, breaking it into two parts and incorporating an updated 21st century adaptation of this novel. 
Filming took place in 2019 at various locations, including Budapest, Jordan, Norway and Abu Dhabi. Dune premiered at the 78th Venice International Film Festival in September and is currently opening in cinemas across the world and it is scheduled for a simultaneous release on HBO Max too. We have talked about Dune and its various trailers before. Do you want to outline your expectations going into this? Uh, intrigued and excited, great cast. Denis one of my favourite directors with broad range of films under his belt at this stage mm. I suppose both from a dramatic and a sci-fi point of view though he's recently I guess focused more on the latter mm. if you think about things like Arrival yeah. and Blade Runner 2049 mm. obviously so it felt like he'd I guess found his lane and was getting to do what essentially I guess does amount to his dream project I think he's not really is he a big sci-fi nerd yeah I don't think he's hidden that he you know Likes aliens. Likes aliens. Adapting Dune was like a thing that he'd wanted to do. I swear I read that once. I haven't just fabricated It sounds that. like something a director would say. It sounds like fair. something he would They've say. They've all been dreaming of doing all the films. Right. Since the I found the teaser trailer and the posters intriguing. The delay itself had, I don't know, been frustrating. But I'd sort of engendered more hype. Like, it felt like Dune being on the horizon was the thing to... I don't know. Keep us going. Keep us going. Like it felt like we'd never get there. No, the second Claire Biddle's reference off this podcast, but Claire had tweeted a few months ago, like my entire mental health is like resting on June, <laughs> which like I feel like we were all collectively like we know we just need to get, like one day we'll get to see it and things will be good. Right. It um, was just always on horizon. I yeah. I honestly thought about a week ago it was still possible that they'd go. Actually, no, we're not doing it next week. Steph, I genuinely when I booked the tickets for us to go and see it, I was like, mm, this isn't going to happen. Gonna happen. So it's fine, isn't it? We're um, going back into lockdown. So those are my expectations. I don't know. I think I just was just desperate for it. <laughs> so desperate. desperate. No, I think I was the same. I've got no connection to the Frank Herbert novel. I think it's important to outline that we both, neither of us have a connection to it. I've kind of always wanted to read it, but have been intimidated and put off by the sheer depth of world building. I've heard a lot about its kind of like politics and ecology Mm -hmm. and the vast structure of this kind of feudal system and fucking spice and basically feedback from others is that it is very complicated, very impressive, but complicated. And clearly I like my books small and dumb. That's not true at all. But, you know, it's a lot to take on. I just have have this really vivid memory of like, I don't know, maybe a few months into the pandemic last year and we were both like "Mm, should we read June and I was like no no no. let's just have a look at how long the audiobook was and I think it was like a hundred hours and I was like no I'm just not doing this so I had absolutely (laughs) no inclination despite the fact I had the time when it was delayed I was like oh no but I could I could read it and I just didn't there are other books to read no didn't do that so haven't got that connection to the source material haven't seen the Lynch version still can't decide when's the right time to do that it's still doesn't feel like the right time because now I'm waiting on part two of this fine but I have been hopeful since day one for this loved Villeneuve's like approach to Arrival and Blade Runner his sense of scale and sort of his approach to science fiction feels like it would work for something this grand Mm -hmm. Um, and I was also pleased that he refused to try and squash the book into a single movie because that seems to be a very vocal criticism of David Lynch's version the cast stacked fucking amazing my boy in the lead role your boy um with the with my boy as the fr- with my boy yeah my boy with your boy your man mm. timothy chalamet sporting the most boring character name ever <laughs> for something so inventive really paul. like this vast world and you've called him paul 
mad. And I was just so relieved when those initial Venice reactions rolled in, talking about the size and the visuals and the technique and the, the performances and the fact that it, hate to I hate to refer to event cinema again, but people were saying like, you know, we haven't had something on this scale since Lord of the Rings. And that was very exciting. Do you want to give your general reactions in a spoiler-free manner before yes. we dig in a bit more? Of course. Um, I think I was really overwhelmed by it in lots of ways. <laughs> it's quite ways. overwhelming, isn't it? I think that it was interesting coming out of it and I just was like, oh, I'm full of thoughts, but I'm not really sure how to formalise them in a way that will coherently make sense. So I didn't really say anything beyond, like, Paul's a stupid name for a character, isn't it? Paul. I am not wholly convinced I knew what was happening half the time. But I feel like the scale and scope of the world building is so off the charts that you just become convinced by it. Like, I think... And, and we it's will very immersive. Yeah, we will come on to this, I think. But it just was... Yeah, I think there's a lot going on plot-wise. Um, and the intricacies of, of the plot weren't often necessarily clear. But I was just so sold on what was happening visually mm-hmm. and just every aspect of it on scale. The scale. The scale of it. That actually it just... It wasn't an issue. It doesn't actually feel aggressively long, despite the fact that it is two and a half hours plus in length. Um, the pacing felt Didn't like generally for me quite personally. fine. I think the only reason I started to feel it is because we went to see it at half past eight on a Monday and I was just shattered anyway. After so, succession. After succession. I was on my succession come down and I think I was quite tired. So the only reason I was checking my watch was because I was just really conscious of like, oh, I'm quite tired. How much longer is left? Because I'm a bit concerned I'm going to fall asleep. But that had nothing to do with the pacing that was just my own fatigue levels Mm. but I just had a great time with it I had a great time with it and I thought a lot about it this week since we've seen it and I definitely want to go and see it again oh I really want to go back in yeah and I and I for something that I had like no prior investment in in terms of like context for the story understanding of the story like I've not seen the David Lynch version I've not even read the Wikipedia for like what is happening in June beyond like oh Spice Spice House of Trades. Like that, I knew nothing. And it's also interesting because I'm not a particularly sci-fi oriented person. No, that's true. Yeah. I like watching sci-fi films, but I'm not someone that would is asked with the sci-fi world building from a literary perspective. No. And just generally, like I, it's just not my thing. Fantasy, all of that stuff. I've tried it. I can't engage with it. That's absolutely fine. But for this, I was like, no, I'm really sold. I'm really sold. And actually, like, I hope we get a second part because mm. I, I would really like to see the continuation of the story because I feel like just the scale and scope of it I know we keep saying that but it's just mad and it's I huge. the thing I kept thinking about as well is I'm so glad that we got to see this in a cinema because if I had watched it at home I just don't think I would have engaged with it in, no. in quite the same way mm-hmm. I absolutely agree yeah it is it's like an absolute must see in the cinema I mean obviously if you don't want to go to the cinema fine but I think you benefit so much more from seeing something this huge on a cinema screen because it is off the hook. Like, the the scale of it is mad. The set pieces are mad. The sound, the visuals... Like, it does compare to things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings in terms of just that... The largeness of everything. And every frame and set piece and costume is fairly stunning. But not in, like, a polished shiny pretty way it's dark and it's sunblasted and there are moments of sort of lightness and comedy but it very much feels like an adult space epic this is not for kids it's not it hasn't got the family aspect that those other aforementioned big (laughs) properties have Mm -hmm. um it it is kind of like adult adult space there isn't a bad performance in the bunch i thought everyone was 
so good. Especially love Timothy and Rebecca and but even like Jason Momoa, who I'm sure we'll go on to. It was just the whole thing was genuinely thrilling and a bit scary at times. That Hans Zimmer score blew my face off. What a and, delight. Right? But, and very similarly to you, I kind of had no idea what was happening 50% of the time, but I was very happy to roll with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it might be, again, partly because of my measured expectation, as in I kind of assumed I wouldn't understand it. So it was, I had exactly the same... Um, Based on the book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was my take going into it, I think, was like, mm, I'm probably not going to understand a lot of this, but that's fine. There was so much... There's been so much emphasis on it being a classic... On a, a great unadaptable book yep. that I kind of went in thinking, good luck, get, you know, teasing a story <laughs> yeah, of out course. of this. So I think if I read it on Wikipedia, I probably would understand it. Um, funnily enough, Wes didn't have a problem with it at all. And I would say the, obviously, uh, obviously this is sci-fi, but there's kind of like, there's sci-fi that has parallels or things that are recognisable to our own reality. Does that make sense? It does make sense, And the yeah. setup and the structure of this sort of society yeah very much mirrors you know our our own history things that are happening today and i think wes is like someone who's so deeply invested in those things and reads about them that he like quite naturally picked it up yeah much quicker than i would have done sure okay um so i thought that was quite interesting but i just genuinely i just had a wonderful time i have to say went in deeply biased and came out feeling yeah i was really relieved i think that it was just like absolutely everything it could have been a hot mess it's not that I was worried, but I was just relieved that, like, actually to come out of it and go, like, oh, yeah, I had a great time. That was a fun time. There's there's obviously things which we'll come on to, I'm sure, that you, you can mm. unpick about it. But actually, for something that is so often touted as being unadaptable, and I do think that terminology, that phrasing, is often a bit of a blessing and a curse because when something gets banded as being unadaptable, I think it almost sets itself up for... A, Failure, yeah. failure, really. Yeah, um, you are kind of waiting for the, the holes to pick. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, I think because I don't really have any prior knowledge of June, the Frank Herbert Or attachment. Book, or to, attachment to yeah. it. That, that, for me, it was like, sure. I mean, as, as we both know, like, having an attachment to source material, especially books, can be, like, a really tricky thing to yeah. negotiate with yeah, film, and, film and TV adaptions. So, yeah, definitely. I, I think, generally speaking, it feels like the temperature around, like, fans of the book is quite positive mm-hmm. as well did you have anything else about the sort of cinematography aspect of it that you wanted to yeah it was interesting that the the dp this time around was greg fraser um mm. who's worked on an interesting array of films so like things like killing him softly zero dark 30 rogue one vice he's the dp on the new batman the matt reeves batman that's coming mm. out soon um it was interesting it was uh, him and not roger, roger deakins. deakins and it's not that like it's not that denis has worked consistently with roger deakins and has suddenly switched because actually going back over his filmography i noticed that he has jumped it around a lot but he worked with deakins on blade runner which so i was just intrigued actually to find that it wasn't roger deakins mm. but cinematography is brilliant like it it looks wonderful the world building of course is so vast and layered and i do think you have to give yourself over to it because otherwise i think then it becomes too unbelievable which i think goes back to what you were saying about the stuff with words and the way that he sort of yeah yeah absolutely it's like it it, it's all so big isn't it and overwhelming like everything from literal space to just vast landscapes on planets and then even rooms like are so large (laughs) 
But the thing I think that this does so well compared to a lot of sci-fi films and that because it's a lot of just landscapes mm-hmm. and ecological areas, it's not like, oh, I'm suddenly being faced with this like completely unrealistic environment. No, it is that, that like, grounding looks in... artificial. Like these are obviously like planes of sand and they're coming and 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 the Atreides family are coming from a country that's like largely like almost like Scottish beaches yeah, but it's, it's, it's a lot there's more there's a familiarity w- there it doesn't lean into and I think this is like what I get from general things I've heard about the book as well is it's like leaning away from the fantastical mm-hmm. and more towards that kind of familiar element yeah. so as you say like it you, they're not just bobbing around on some sort of CGI no there's background. like you know even the even the building structures are like recognizable you know with a lot of like concrete buildings mm. and all of that stuff obviously it's yeah, like some of it looked like it was based at uea <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking like the ziggurats like it that's you know mm. so, so i think in that in itself i think that works to its advantage actually because mm. i'm not for for majority of the time i wasn't thinking like why have you created this like weird alien landscape that i just don't that doesn't look real to me so i can't engage with it like actually the, the space has felt recognizable to yeah a point. yeah helps with the cgi aspect as yeah, well because you're not absolutely. just spending the whole time going cgi green screen yeah. i thought the colors in this were amazing as well you kind of move from that like oppressive industrial gray to these really blooming like almost psychedelic right red and orange mm-hmm. colors for the, the hazy, planet and the, a lot of it did make feel a bit like weird psychedelia and i'm sure that feeds into the spice and all of those kinds of aspects but it does have that weird psychedelic aspect too which was i don't know just like an absolute feast for all the senses mm-hmm. we kind of touched on the story and the sci-fi elements like did we really know what was going on i just felt like i was a 50 fit real 50 fit that's split i've literally put 50 percent like, i've heard, i've written real 50 50 split of this makes sense and what the fuck yeah like I, I do think that like i was very much down the middle and normally that would render me largely ambivalent mm-hmm. but actually like i just don't think it mattered because i think that like everything else around it was working so well for me that like even if i was getting a bit confused about little minute details it just wasn't it wasn't putting me off no um i understand and picked up on the allegorical nature mm-hmm. of like paul and his story yeah and, his and mythic quest his mythic quest the the biblical aspect man yeah. in the desert you know prodigal son all of that stuff um i suppose that's the area of it where i am slightly unsure of this entire kind of like white saviour aspect mm, mm. and the way that it does really obviously borrow from Middle Eastern and North African cultures without yeah. having any real representation of those people in the film mm-hmm. and that was something I was anticipating in advance of it because I think a lot of uh, critics and writers had sort of uh, aired their concerns rightfully yeah. so I think um, but that is something that I think is evident in the book in the way that yes, it's referring it, it to is. like men of culture and and whether or not it executes it in a, in a satisfactory way i don't know but i do i am aware that that's one of the criticisms that is often yeah. thrown at it's June. definitely yeah i think it's not just come out of this film no, it's no, like no. a continuing issue yeah. and it's inevitable and I negotiating think. that i i don't know how how denny would have even negotiated it really in any successful way like mm. i think it's i think unfortunately it's like the one unavoidable thing about june as a whole yes um so that doesn't feel surprising really. yeah 
and that's not and that's not to downplay it. I just feel like it's inevitable. It yeah, is inevitable. I think it is because of the source and material. And it's also like worthy of criticism. Yeah, and absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Just adding to what we were saying about understanding fifty percent of it. I think there is this also dual aspect of I think anything that is that big in terms of its imagination for example like game of thrones i get lost a lot anyway because there's just so many players and it's you know it's it's big so i i get lost so that doesn't almost surprise me and also from the book i gather it is hugely detailed there's lots of conflicting and contrasting themes so there's a lot to try and set up and play in just shy of three hours it's this kind of like heroic quest as you say with all kinds of sort of psychic mind fuckery and spice and religion and politics and environmentalism and it's like a mad mix of things to even try and portray on screen and I think Villeneuve has sort of talked about it being a coming of age story but also a call for action for the youth so I think he's tried to tap into that idea about the the exploitation of the earth and Mm -hmm. you know which obviously was topical at the time when frank herbert was writing june and is very much sort of topical now so it's trying to strike that balance between like space quest and commentary on our own of course of course yeah use of the earth's resources but it is that kind of dark insanity that i think i quite like my i mean i'm not a huge science fiction expert but it's the sort of science fiction that i like it's kind of it has its violence it has its menace menace there's some like black magic going on everyone's probably high on spice like it is i was i was into that but as you say i think i can see why some people think it's got too it's trying to juggle too much because i think the original story is juggling a lot as well so yeah which I, you know i'm sure the process for trying to tease out what to i don't know what to even tackle in this film must be absolutely you... bananas so i would i i think you have to like give a huge amount of credit for like even being able to come out of this one without being a hot mess yeah it's in- interesting actually thinking about the ecological aspect and how you know so many great sci-fi films are about you know what will happen when so much, the earth yeah. degrades and we have to go and reinvent ourselves elsewhere or like thinking about the way that you know we pillage the earth and it's an emerging uh, well i mean it's always been a theme but it's a growing theme in a lot of genre fiction uh, and a lot of genre storytelling generally because i've been learning that there's this huge growing area of like environmental crime fiction oh, and like cly crime which is like climate crime it's like a big thing in crime writing now and um yeah stories which are drawing on those themes and it's so it's very ecological terrorism it is is ecological terrorism it's all very you know there's a lot of that being talked about at the moment and rightly so so yeah kind of feeds into that doesn't it um it does also and i feel like this is inevitable feel slightly like 50 percent of a film because it's so reliant on number two's existence so we've got some core action taking place but then at the end with Paul and his mother, it does also feel like we're only getting started on their bigger journey, you know? So you end it thinking like, fuck, I really hope we get a second half because otherwise we literally have half a story here. It's not subtle, is it? Like it literally no. ends with him being like, oh, this and is off only, we go. This is only just the start. He doesn't say it's only just the start, but he basically it's says like something It's like Frodo just in beginning on it his... Honestly, is, is like though. just trekking off. It's like, well, that was hard work. Better go and do some more. But yeah, we are half. It's like the halfway mark. It was just striking to me afterwards. T was like, "Have they? Is the second one coming?" And I was like, "They haven't even filmed it." (laughs) 
So they haven't even confirmed yet. We don't know what's happening. Who um, knows? It's a lot. And then let's talk about performances before we finish. What do you think about what are your favourite performances? Timmy, great. Oscar Isaac, hottest man alive. Oh. Just Daddy Isaac. Um, Josh Brolin, hot. Hot. Everyone's hot in this. Everyone is hot. Barely any Zendaya, but fine. Mad. Yeah, it's is again, it's really interesting that she is like utterly at the forefront of um, the marketing for this film. It is her and Timmy. And by my reading, it looks like she will obviously be more a part of the second film if it gets made. But she is literally like... Doing the work. There's like 10 minutes in this. She's not actually in it a lot. I can't believe I now stand Jason Momoa. Amazing. We are both... Entirely enamoured with him. In love with a man called Duncan Idaho. Duncan. I was going to say who came up with his names. Frank Herbert. Duncan, I- Duncan Idaho. Duncan. At least Atreides is like a cool surname. Yeah, Atreides. Yeah. I just... Duncan. Jessica Paul. Jessica. Duncan. His mum's called Jessica. Dad's Lady called Jess. Lady. Duke Leto. Leto. Later, I don't know Jessica. what was going on here. Actually, anyway. I will just say that I I think I hadn't realised that her name was Jessica, and then at one stage, Oscar Isaac says her name, and I just was like, "Who's that?" Like to myself, like Jessica. Jessica. And there's Paul. nothing. There's obviously nothing wrong with the name Jessica, but like sorry, in, Jessicas. In the in the in the setting of this, it was like Jessica. Well, you know, you had like Baron Vladimir, like big names, like Zendaya is Charney, but then there's Duncan. Jessica and Paul. Gurney. Like where's Nigel and <laughs> Stephen? Daniel, oh. Trevor, it's shouting just, lots of normal names now. Um, just great performances, really. I loved everyone. Um, I, I love everyone. I just, you know, everyone is hot and good, basically, everyone is my hot. review is, of yeah. the performances. I like to see Timothy flex a bit. I think, I mean, we know that he can do a very sensitive, mm-hmm. young performance. Uh, but sometimes when he does anything that's slightly more action-driven or physical, it's just sort of funny to me because he's so flimsy. But it, he, I, he was less flimsy in this film. It felt like he could probably hold a sword a bit more. A thing that made me laugh quite a lot at the time was that, like, Duncan Idaho, Jason Momoa's character, like, makes a joke about his muscles. And oh, yeah. then there's a joke in the French Dispatch where, like, yeah. he's sitting in the bath and Francis McDormand um, yeah. sees him and he's like, oh, I'm conscious of my new muscles. And it's just like, he's such a flimsy stick <laughs> Poor figure. little boy. He's so, yeah, he's so flimsy and everyone knows it. Yeah, I'm just so glad that he will be introduced to a wider audience here. I gather that Lady Jessica's character was given a bigger role by Villeneuve in this film compared to the books. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I think she takes more of a backseat and there's sure. less story to her. Sure. So she's been brought to the forefront. And I went in sort of expecting this very focused father and son story. And it is a father and son story, but it's also very much a mother and son story, which I didn't know about as much. No, so that realize. was really interesting to me. And yeah, just shout out the sandworms because I actually thought they were very good. Are I you d- not menaced by the, the giant bumhole sandworms? They're just not scary to me. I'm oh, really they're sorry. terrifying. We had this conversation when we did our movie monsters episode. I was convinced that seeing the film would change your mind. It's just a big worm. A worm. They're huge. <laughs> they're like the size okay, of our so solar system. They're massive. I The sandworms, Shai Halid, right? Mm-hmm. There's a hardcore band oh, yeah. called Shai Halid. And it, I did not know that the revelation the cultural records, impact of june the cultural impact of june who knew um i didn't realize that show the band were named after the show the sandworm so unfortunately for me every single time anyone referred to show i was like wetting myself just thinking of like 
shitty hardcore shows yeah. and all the boys I've ever spent time with in my life, who are many of whom I'm still friends with now, who at no point go, went like, you know that band Shai Halud? They're named after a worm. <laughs> no, and, 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 I, and I Instagrammed this and many of them replied to me and were like, yeah, didn't you know? And I was like, well, no, well, none of you told me. None Come of you were now. like, have you considered reading I think June? I think none of them knew. That's no. what I think. Bullshit. I think they should have given the sandworm like a basic name like Brian with all the Ted. other characters. Ted the worm. And quickly shout out the Hans Zimmer score Incredible. as well. Again, Incredible. Like, I was it. so aware of it the entire time from the very Just wonderful. beginning because it is so awe-inspiring. It's amazing. Sensory. The whole thing Ooh, is a sensory big. overload in like the nicest possible way. A magnificent way. spectacle. <laughs> I'm throwing spectacle. my arms around. Too much story to truly decipher. But love it. Want to see had it again. a wonderful time. Can't wait to see it again. Please give me a part two. Yes, please. Thank. Oh, just please. Please. We're so fucked if we don't get a part two because I can't watch that film and it have not an ending. Jesus Christ. <gasps> Come Imagine on, Imagine waiting the rest of my life for a part two that never happens. Big fans of June. 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 So, after all of that, what is your obsession of the week? Oh my God, I didn't even think about my you obsession of the week. You didn't think of an obsession of the no. week? No. We've touched lots of different hairstyles. To Great Chalamet's hair, hair, Kieran Culkin's hair. Great week for hair. Just hair? Lots of nice hair. <laughs> Curly, floaty, fluffy boy hair. The concept of hair. Just boy hair. Wow. Great. Hair Great. on men. Great there. Um, mine's Kieran Culkin. There you go. Basically um, the same. I cannot begin to tell you... Small men. ...how personally wonderful it was to go to the succession premiere, occupy the same airspace as Kieran Culkin, see for myself that he is in fact a five foot five king. Short king. His hair, it, it's just fabulous i just love him so much i love roman roy so much i've been so extremely team roman for such a long time on on succession in particular but just have really championed the work of kieran culkin for many years from from 2002 igby goes down to like just through everything great great time to be a kieran culkin fan finally consistently we did it guys we did it um, so that's us you can find us online with Twitter at the Thirst we're on Podbean and all the other usual podcast places including Apple Podcasts and Spotify you can search for us there for the Thirst Instagram we're at the Thirst Pod you can check out our blog where we'll share some links to things thethirstpod.wordpress.com and you can also find us on Facebook if you are still using that at the Thirst Pod thanks bye